Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I'm chatting with Susan Hunt about the local church. One of our mutual friends rightly stated that Susan just bleeds ecclesiology, which if you haven't heard that term before, it just means the theology of the church. I could not agree more. She said, If we are in love with Christ, we will want to be a part of a local church. We'll want to be a part of His body. Our adoption in Christ means that we are united to His other children. We are part of the invisible church. But we live out that reality in time and space by connecting ourselves to a local body of believers. We're supposed to get down in the trenches with this concept. Y'all, from everything that I know of Susan, she does just that. She gets into the trenches and she loves and serves the family of God. And I can't think of anybody that I'd rather hear from on this topic. Or (laughs) let's be real, um, any topic. So you'll know her a little better. Susan's been happily married to Jean Hunt, a retired PCA pastor for 55 years. She formerly served as the coordinator of women's ministries for the PCA, and she's actually authored several dozen books for women and children. I can't wait for you guys to hear from her today. But before we go there, I want to tell you about the companies that helped to make today's episode possible. TBRM, FabFitFun, and Lily Jade. Lily Jade believes in elevating the role of motherhood to its proper place. Moms don't have to settle for poor quality, boring designs just because they need to carry their kids' gear. They don't have to transform into the family pack mule schlepping around lots of bags for different purposes. They can actually still feel pretty and put together. Lily Jade full-grain leather backpack diaper bags were created for the woman who wants to be organized and for the woman who values lasting quality and loves the idea of consolidating her purse and diaper bag into one bag that does the job of two. No one will ever know it's a diaper bag unless you tell them. Because the infant organizer is removable, it can be left with a sitter and you can take your beautiful bag with you. Lily Jade designs bags that aren't throwaways. They're gorgeous, well-made, and they can easily transition to a classic leather tote when the baby years are over. You can learn more by checking them out on Instagram at Lily Jade Co., where they host regular giveaways and support adoptive families. Now, on to my conversation with Susan Hunt, on the local church. Susan, good morning. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you for having me. I got to tell you, it is such an honor to have you on the show. Um, I've had the privilege of doing quite a number of your studies through my local church, and I'm reading your book, Life-Giving Leadership, right now, and actually doing a study with the gals at my church on prayer that you wrote a number of years ago. I think it was like earlier, what, 2011 or something like that? Oh, I don't remember, but uh, I remember the book. I just don't remember the year. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's just really, really fun. I didn't even tell my Bible study girls that I was going to get to talk to you because I kind of felt like it would be like bragging. So (laughs) we are just all, we are Susan Hunt fans and um, I'm so thankful for your legacy. We've had 
a woman who you've mentored, Karen Hodge, on the show. She's done one of our most popular episodes. I personally consider Karen to be a, a mentor of mine at a distance. I know she also has discipled Laura Whiffler, who's been on the show. So you kind of have a spiritual heritage here at the mm. Journey Women podcast. Thank you for that. You're kind of the journey, the resident journey women grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I like that. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do and um, yeah, just what life looks like for you on a day-to-day basis? Oh, sure. My husband, Gene, and I recently celebrated our 55th anniversary. Congratulations. We, I know, isn't that just That's wonderful? amazing. It, it is. It really is. And we're so very grateful. And we we love our life at this stage of life. He is a PCA pastor who is retired from vocational ministry, but not from ministry. Right. Um, we have three adult children, 12 grandchildren. One of our grandsons is married, so that gives us 13 grandchildren. And we have a uh, granddaughter in heaven. Oh. Uh-huh. We, um, our little Annie Grace oh. preceded us to heaven. We live in Marietta, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta. And um, we have the, in today's culture, rather unusual situation that we live on a few little acres of land with one daughter on one side of us and the other daughter on the other side of us and their families. And then our son is just 10 minutes away. So we really do live life together as a family. And it's wonderful. I actually grew up living next door to my grandmother. And she honestly, she was like one of my motivations for starting this podcast. Her husband is also a pastor and I would go down there and we would just, you know, have a spiritual conversation and she's really treasures memorization. And it's just amazing to see how even in her older age now, she has kind of come down with a little bit of dementia, but Susan, she can remember God's word. Um, And it's absolutely tremendous. So I, what a gift to your, to your daughters and to your son and to your grandchildren to get to have you so close. Well, it's it's a wonderful gift to me, and we absolutely love it, and I hope that they will have just the kind of memory that you, you just described. Um, I'm 79, and you already know some of the challenges of interviewing somebody my age just in walking me through all the technology of it, but <laughs> I suspect I'm the oldest person you've ever interviewed, so we'll see how this goes. I think so. I think you are, and you know, that's my one lament with podcasting is that it is more challenging um, because, you know, you didn't grow up with podcasts or even like right. having Wi-Fi and FaceTime audio and things like that, and so I really wish we could have even more older guests on the show because you guys bring so much depth and so much richness to my life on a personal level. And that's really the heart behind the Journey Women podcast is to connect with mentors on their journeys um, who have walked before us so that you can kind of point out like the pitfalls and kind of like look back on your life and say, ah, this is something that I wish I would have known when I was your age. So yes, one of the pitfalls of my generation, Susan, is really just um, maybe a lack of understanding and appreciation for the local church. And that's something that I have seen in and amongst my peers. And, and it's something that I've personally experienced. And so Um, I I wanted to do a show that just kind of highlights the beauty of the local church. And I couldn't think of a better person to do that than you. Um, So I'd love to just kind of kick it off with, can you give us an explanation of like what the local church actually is and what and who make up the local church? First of all, I just commend you for addressing this topic. It is so important. And I will say that from my older age perspective, 
I can barely speak the word church without weeping at wonder at just the very idea, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, the churches, the people of God in all times and all places. We're those who were chosen in Christ in eternity past. We're being redeemed, justified, adopted, and sanctified in Him. The church is those who are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. Think of that, the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Mm -hmm. So we're the ones with the potential to, to make Jesus known, to reflect the glory of God in a dark, broken world. So the church is um, the people who have been entrusted with the living word of the living God. And Hunter, I'm, I'm continually and increasingly awestruck and grateful that I'm actually one of the living stones in this living temple. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Oh, it really is. And I think when you think about it in that context, man, it just gives you such an appreciation for the people who make up the local church. And I think, I don't know, this is kind of getting a bit conversational, but I I wonder if so much difficulty has risen up in the last couple of years just because we're so, so individualistic as Americans and you know, as as people here, and it's I, I think it's hard sometimes to be in a community that's so tight knit that can cause like friction and things like that. So we'll definitely talk about that as we go along. Um, but before we move into that, I'd love to talk about the difference between the local church and then we have like parachurch organizations and online ministries, even like what Journey Women is. So can you tell us what's the distinction between the local body of believers? And other organizations who are also made up of believers who love Jesus and who want to, like, share um, the gospel and to fulfill the Great Commission, those types of things. Well, as I understand it, um, I'll, I'll do the best I can with this, but the local church, in the local church, Jesus is king. And so there is an authority and accountability structure. In the New Testament, we see that as churches were established, elders and deacons were elected to preach and teach the gospel and to care for the needs of the people, to shepherd the flock. The marks of the church are traditionally understood as the faithful preaching of God's word, the faithful administration of the sacraments, and then discipline. When we join a church, we place ourselves under the oversight of the elders of the church who are charged with the care of our soul. And each of these marks is an expression of the one great mark of the church, which is submission to God's word as our authority for faith and life. So by contrast, a parachurch organization, it seems to me, does not have this kind of responsibility for or authority over the people who are involved in its ministry. Uh, a parachurch organization is not under the oversight of a particular church or denomination. Para means uh, to come alongside. And most of these organizations come alongside the church for specific ministries. Just for example, in our community, there's a wonderful faith-based organization with a ministry to the poor in our area. Mm-hmm. There's also a crisis pregnancy center. Now, I'm a, a member of a small church, and it's 
it's difficult for our little church to be involved in those ministries in an effective way. But through these parachurch organizations, we can join with those from other churches to be involved. We may not exactly uh, agree on every theological issue, but we can join together in these local ministries. Yes, I love that so much. So just a distinction, Journey Women <laughs> is uh-huh. not a church, you know, and and I think with everything being so accessible on the internet and things like that, that's a real danger for my generation is just to yes. pick and choose what we want to hear. Um, and I loved how you brought out the piece of like church discipline. Like, I think we have a very negative connotation with that in our brains, but it's really such a safe covering. Um, oh, yes. You know, and I want somebody who's going to know my back foot, who's going to see that back foot, who's going to address that with me in love. Um, and that's something that we really miss out on if all of our relationships are exclusively online. Um, I think that's different in a parachurch organization, but I definitely, I love the way that you drew in how the parachurch like really exists to support um, the local church and to come alongside the local church and vice versa, how the local church can be involved in certain ministries that they may not have the capacity to do otherwise, um, right. unless they join with like the greater body believers in their local area. So what is the function um, and the purpose of the local church? Like, can we just kind of get to the core of like, why does the local church exist and why is it important? Jesus gave us our great and glorious commission when he told us that the church is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach God's people to observe, to to obey all that he commanded. And these three gospel imperatives, it's important for us to see, are bookended by his strong statements that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and he is with us. So what seems like an impossible mission is possible because of who he is. Mm-hmm. And this is what the church is to do. Um, Paul says it in Ephesians 4 that God gave to the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then I, I love how Peter becomes so poetic in his letter when he's, first of all, talks about who we are in Christ, and he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? And then he tells us the mission of the church, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So there is our our commission, our purpose as the church of the living Christ. Mm-hmm. And I love how God has so uniquely gifted um, yes. each of us. And we're going to have a whole entire standalone episode on spiritual gifts so that we can, you know, kind of dive into what is it that God has uniquely gifted me to do for his glory and his purposes. And just what a beautiful thing it is when we come together as the body and how much more effective we are when we do that in the context of community to serve the people around us and to really reflect the glory of God and to, like you're saying, to evangelize, to yes. um, fulfill the Great Commission. So 
I, I absolutely love that. And I'm just so thankful. I think it, when we focus on that and when we kind of get our eyes off of maybe our preferences or yes. the wounds that we've experienced in the church, then it helps us to persevere through the difficulties that can come, you know, in the context of doing relationship with people who are all in desperate need of Jesus, right? Like we're all sinners in need of a savior. So why is it important for us, Susan, to seek membership in a local church. I'm personally, my husband is military. So we have moved in the last six years. I think it's seven years now. In the last seven years, we've moved four times. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's a great challenge. And I know many of our listeners are actually in very transient seasons of life. Um, Mm -hmm. Many of them are also overseas. So that can be really difficult to find a local church when you're in a totally different culture. And I think sometimes when we're in a transient season, whether it be in college or transitioning out of college into like a temporary workspace or for military and we're moving every two years, the temptation is just to kind of maybe church hop a little bit, shop around. Once we settle, never really to pursue membership in the church. So why would it be important for us to do that regardless of the amount of time that we're actually going to be spending in a certain place? I think it's such such a great question that you're asking. Our tendency is to um, focus down into our situation, and maybe it's hard to find a church, or we are very mobile or whatever. And what we need to do, I think, is to pull back and think biblically about this question, as we need to do with everything. It's really not about the cultural issues that are involved, but it's more at looking what does Scripture say. And I think when we talk about membership in a local church, it's a, a bit like saying, why should a man and woman get married? Hmm. If we are in love with Christ, we will want to be a part of a local church. We'll want to be a part of his body. Our adoption in Christ means that we are united to his other children. We are part of the invisible church, but we live out that reality in time and space by connecting ourselves to a local body of believers. We're supposed to get down in the trenches with this concept. I love the um, the section in Numbers chapter 2, where we read that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard, with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So we see as it talks about the banners of their own father's houses, they maintained their family identity, but they were to put the camp, which was the, um, or the, the, temp, the, the tabernacle, excuse me, in the middle of the camp, and then the various families or tribes were to camp around the, the tabernacle, and they were to be facing it. The tabernacle represented the presence of God. Mm. And so the distinguishing characteristic of that covenant community was the presence of God in their midst. And so when, when any family stepped outside of their tent, they saw all the other families in reference to the tabernacle, the presence of God. Now, carry this thought out. If any Israelite family decided they really didn't like community life, they weren't tickled with the neighbors next door to them, (laughs) and so they decided to travel through the desert alone, their vulnerability would have been unimaginable. Right. 
And so is ours when we decide to do it alone. That is not the way God created us to be. Aloneness is not his will. He created us to live interdependently. And I think that the the Westminster Confession of Faith in the chapter on the communion of, of saints, this is one of my very favorite all-time quotes because I think it just spells this out for us so beautifully. When we read that all saints that are united to Jesus Christ by his spirit have fellowship with him and his grace, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And it does not stop there. Much of Christendom today would put a period there, but the Westminster Divines did not. Those saints, all saints that are united to Jesus are also united to one another in Mm. love. Mm. And it goes on to say, They have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Now, that's radical in our culture of independence is power. Mm -hmm. No, it's really not. That's a lie from the enemy. We're to live interdependently. We are to be united, and, and we actually have communion, your gifts and graces belong to me. I need your gifts and graces, and you need mine. And we're actually obliged. That's a strong word. Yes. We are obliged to perform these things for the mutual good, thinking of the, the common good rather than our own good, again, runs against the grain, but it's right. And it's good, and it's the way we're supposed to live. Becoming a Christian is intensely personal. But once we are united to Christ, we're also united to his other children. And it's in the context of these covenant relationships that we live out our faith, that our faith is expanded and it's strengthened. Marriage and membership in a church give us the kind of committed up-close relationships that help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as we love one another, as we serve and forgive and care for one another, as we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's very important to seek out membership in a church, even if it's only for a short time. Mm-hmm. I could not agree more. I had a pastor who really encouraged us. There was a period in time, Susan, where Brooks and I, he was undergoing um, like a short training in the military. I think we were only in that duty station for eight months. And so we just felt like, why would we, you know, by the time we get to the membership class, <laughs> by the mm-hmm. time we stand on stage, we're going to be headed out. Our pastor really encouraged us to plug in and to become members despite the brevity of our stint there. And it was such a tremendous blessing to us as a couple. And I think, too, we were able to serve in the church in a way in which we wouldn't have been able to do had we not plugged into the degree that we did and actually getting FaceTime with the pastors and really having conversations about, like, you know, the doctrine of the church and things like that when we were in Mm -hmm. that membership meeting. I know not every single church does it that way, but I will say from experience, I completely agree. And you mentioned kind of getting into the trenches 
with other believers. And I'm just I'm envisioning now that um, that community with their tents facing toward the tabernacle, like you said, what is the importance of actually being involved in the local church, not just on a Sunday morning when you attend the worship service um, and maybe even beyond serving in the nursery or working with the teenagers or, or the youth, but really actually coming alongside other believers in the community and doing life together under the word of God? Again, a very good question. And, and the answer is, this is what scripture calls us to do. In Acts 2, we read that the early church devoted themselves to uh, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread or the sacraments and, and the prayers. And then in Hebrews 10, I think it's a compelling passage when we read, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest who is Jesus over the house of God, in other words, because we have access to God through Christ, we're given three gospel imperatives. The first is, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So we're to draw near to God. Mm. And then let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he's faithful. We're to be steadfast in hope. And then the third one is, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, yes. as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're not to keep church at a distance. We're actually to give to give thought to, when I go to church, how can I stir up others to love and good deed? How can I encourage them? This is not just about church hopping. This is about living covenantally, living out our relationship with God and our relationship with other believers. And it, it comes down to such small things that I think maybe we we overlook the importance of the small things. And we need to see the big and the small. A couple of weeks ago, I had a letter from a, a young woman, and she was telling me about her memories of being in my Sunday school class when she was a little girl. Wow. And she described some of the specific things she remembered, memorizing Psalm 23 and other things. And she said, and now I'm teaching those things to our children, and she's a school teacher, and to um, my students. And I thought about that, and I thought about it. When I was teaching that Sunday school class, I was just trying to get through, you know, just <laughs> get it done and keep the kids fairly sane until it was time for them to go to their parents. And that Sunday, I got to church and I saw this precious young mother come in with her three little ones. And she's there every Sunday teaching one of the children's Sunday school classes. And so after Sunday school, between Sunday school and church, I went up to her and thanked her for what she's doing. And I told her about mm -hmm. that letter. And I said, I know you may feel like you're just trying to get through this, but what you're doing matters. And, you know, the next week she came to me and she said, Susan, I've thought about what you said all week. Oh, now, that took very little effort on my part. Totally. But it's those small things that make a big difference. It was the small thing of that young woman writing me that letter yes. that spurred me on to spur somebody else on. 
Yes. And that's how it works. But then an, another reason for this involvement is in Philippians 3. I've really been thinking about this a lot lately, where we read, Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many walk as enemies of the cross, and their end is destruction. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So I was thinking about that. I thought about how when we gather with others in our local church, and we look around and rather than criticizing things that we might not like, why not look around and see the hopeful people who are awaiting the Savior? And I've started trying to practice this. Mm -hmm. And so sitting in church, waiting until it begins or whatever, it is such a rich time, whatever your situation. But we look around and we'll see, for example, maybe a woman whose husband has left her, but she's there. We see this young mother with her children or parents who are grieving the death of a child or the rebellion of a child. We see widows and widowers who are faithful, Um, the young mom who is battling cancer or the the elderly who are there with chronic pain but a, a constant smile. These are people that the pain and sorrow of the world spills into their lives for sure. But those earthly realities do not control them. And we need to keep our eyes on them. Mm -hmm. We need to stay close to them because we're strengthened. Now, we can look around and see those things because we've lived life close enough together that we know their stories. Yes. And they know our story. And so we, we would not have this if we don't talk to one another and have one another in each other's homes spend time together, study scripture together, pray together, then it is that slowly but surely the stories become our stories Yes, because we benefit by their stories. Yes. Which sort of leads into um, another thing is scripture commands one generation to tell the next generation the mighty acts of God. And it's in church that we can do this. Titus 2 is very specific in that older women are to teach and train younger women, and that's to happen in the context of the church. But again, we have to know each other for this to happen, for us to push our theology to the relational level. So it's worth the effort. Just do it. Man, I've got tears running down my cheeks in the closet. That happens often, Susan, I, I must admit, especially when I'm pregnant. I'm, I'm 35 oh. weeks pregnant right now. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. But, you know, I'm thinking about specific people in our congregation that are navigating the exact situation. I mean, I'm thinking about a lady this week who I love, who her daughter lost her dog. And it's like, how, you know, you don't know that stuff. Like, that was important to her. Yes. And I would never have known if we wouldn't have, like, pressed into really doing day-to-day life together and asking one another. We're asking each other a lot, thanks to your book, Susan. How can we be praying for each other? And she would reached out for prayer because of that was a really difficult piece. And so I've got tears running down my face because I'm thinking about all of their specific and unique stories. 
And it's just such a gift to get to do life together with them in that capacity. And also for them to know me that I'm having, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time, Susan, at 35 weeks pregnant right. with, <laughs> with a, two, a two and a four year old and yes. just experiencing anxiety over at the time this podcast releases, it will have already happened, but transitioning to life as a family of five and uh-huh. Um, it's just such a gift to get to reach out to the people that are in our congregation and to ask for prayer and to know that they're that they're also aware of um, the hardships and the difficulties that I'm facing on a day-to-day basis so that they can practically come alongside me. Man, I hope you guys are loving this conversation with Susan Hunt. And because of that, I want to share with you the other companies who actually help make it possible. Have you tried FabFitFun yet? If you aren't sure what FabFitFun is or how it works, it's a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. That means that four times a year when you receive your FabFitFun box in the mail, it actually feels like your birthday. Party! When you open your box, you're going to be surprised and excited to try out the new products and to incorporate the new items into your daily routine. It's such a fun way to try out new products, y'all. Each box retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200. That's a bargain. Don't miss out on any of the seasons because these boxes can sell out fast. To check it out, go to fabbitfun.com and use the code JOURNEY so that you can save $10 off your first box, making it just $39.99. Again, that's fabbitfun.com and use the code JOURNEY for $10 off your first box. Our other sponsor for today's episode is TBRM. Summer's just around the corner, and I'll bet all my mamas with school-age kiddos are already thinking about how to fill your calendars with activities for your family. If that's you, I want to tell you about TBRM Camps. Imagine a summer experience for your kids with relationships so engaging and fun beyond their wildest dreams, they actually forget about their devices. At TBRM, campers step away from the craziness of life and jump into the adventure of growing in relationship with God and others. While this adventure includes crazy, over-the-top activities like a high-ropes course and endless blobbing, it's also facilitated with the intentional thought and care of Jesus-loving college students who are right alongside your camper, encouraging and investing in them all week long. Make summer matter and check out TBRM camps located in New Braunfels, Texas. TBRM has camps for campers 1st through 11th grade or if you want to join in on the fun too, check out their awesome family camps. Visit tbrm.org slash journeywomen to learn more. Now, back to my conversation with Susan Hunt on the topic of the local church. I love what you said about seeking out, you know, the, the generation that's before you, that's ahead of you. And I just think that, especially for people who are in situations like, myself who are in the context of the military where we're surrounded where we live in neighborhoods with people that live in the same season of life and we live um you know we experience like this rank structure where everyone has been in for the same amount of time or we've got a ton of college girls listening who they may be in a dorm room with a lot of other women who maybe some of them love jesus but you know they've only walked the same number of years that they have and so being really intentional about seeking out the um, 
experience and the wisdom um, of women who have walked before us. I mean, people know this because they've experienced this just from listening to the show in general. But just hearing you talk, Susan, I'm like, oh, it's such a gift to get to hear like the wisdom of having walked with Jesus for years and years. And I know you take no credit of that, you know, in that at all. It's only <laughs> by the power of the Holy Spirit oh, who yes. is in you. Um but I, I think you're showing us what a gift it is just by sitting with us in this capacity today. So I know that the thing that unites all of us, regardless of our season, <laughs> regardless of um, of the specific situation that we're navigating right now, the lifestyle is the gospel and yes. that we are united in and through Jesus Christ. So how does the gospel actually undergird and empower the time that we spend together in community as a local church body? Another wonderful question. Thank you so much for for thinking through these things and asking the good questions. Uh, There is no covenant community without gospel power. We, We hear a lot about community today, but covenant community is different because it is yes. um, gospel initiated. It is gospel sustained. It is word based. Uh, it's not based on where we live or our interest or any of those things, but it's all about the gospel. So we become a part of the covenant community because of the gospel. But then it's also the gospel that sustains uh, and empowers this community. We we need to go to Jesus's prayer when he's praying uh, in, in John 17, his high priestly prayer, when he's praying yes. for those that the Father gave him. And a portion of that prayer is that he prays that they may all, that, that meaning they whom the Father gave him, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent them. So he is praying for our unity. He's praying for unity in the community. But then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He makes known to us the provision so that it can be so. In the next verse, he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them so that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus has given us the power to be one with our fellow believers. He has given us his glory. Stop and think about that. Mm -hmm. He has actually deposited his glory in us. Now, this is speaking of the his internal glory, not the the external glory, such as the um, Shekinah glory that was over the, the tabernacle, but it's the internal glory, the essence of who he is, his very character. It's his spirit, his Holy Spirit. So we have that, that very power of Jesus in us, the very character of Jesus in us. And as we die to self and live unto him, it is that character that we reflect to one another. And so as that happens, as we're reflecting his glory to one another, we're drawn closer and closer together because as we're drawn to him, we're drawn to one another. But it also gives us, he gives us the power that when someone else is not reflecting his glory, 
by his power, we can still love them and forgive them and treat them in the way that he treats us. Mm-hmm. That and, and that there are times when we need to do that. We need those people who, as Moses, uh, or as God actually defined the people, the Israelites, as they were traveling through the, the desert, as stiff-necked. Sometimes we need those <laughs> stiff-necked people among us so that we can pray, Lord, show me more of your glory so I can show it to them. And in that, we're transformed. So it's, it is just this marvelous thing when we stop and think. I think if we can just get our eyes on the bigger picture of God's glory and of Him putting His glory in us and writing His gospel story in us, and we start looking for that in each other, rather than getting all upset over things that really mm-hmm. don't matter. Mm-hmm. It, th- then the church becomes exactly what he prayed it would be. And and people look at that and think, how could there be such a thing? Uh, how can people live that way? How can they love that way? And they're drawn to the gospel. Man, I have totally been the stiff neck, and I'm just so thankful oh, me for too. <laughs> everybody who's come alongside me uh, and loved me and really extended the forgiveness yes. <laughs> um, that, that we have received through Christ like to me in my stiff neckness. And that's just been such a, an integral part of my own sanctification and um, of becoming a more life-giving woman, as you call it, a, a woman who reflects more of God's glory, like you're saying. And and so I'm just so thankful for that. And I And I want people to be encouraged to engage in that, even though it's clunky and it's super awkward. And mm-hmm. the way that that fleshes itself out is really, really uncomfortable. I guarantee you people are think- that know me personally are thinking of specific stories right now. <laughs> that they could, maybe we should splice some of those in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, you know, what a gift it is to, to get to have people who love you enough to come alongside you and to show you those blind spots um, that you don't have eyes to see. And um, I think that's one of the joys of being involved in the local church is really experiencing and, and, and watching um, the Holy Spirit work in one another's lives and to see his glory manifested in us, in one another, and to see us like exercising our gifts for his glory. So what do you think is the joy of being involved in the local church, Susan? Do you have anything that you would like to add to that? I, I, I agree so much. Yes, seeing seeing the Lord at work in His people, seeing Christ being formed, uh, us decreasing and Him increasing, the joy of that is just unspeakable. But as I thought about this question, I've been studying Psalm 92 a lot recently. It's called a Sabbath song. Mm. And I think that it gives us such insight into the church. In the first four verses, the psalmist says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So as the worshipers came into the temple, as they sang the Sabbath song, they're declaring the goodness of giving thanks to God. And as we go to church and we join together with God's people and we sing hymns of thanks to God, even though some of us have hearts that are breaking, how good that is. And as we declare 
even in the midst of our pain and our brokenness and even sometimes our disappointments with one another, but we declare his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And then the most amazing thing happens in verse 4. The psalmist says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. Mm. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. We're really drilling down into what does it mean to have joy? This is so shocking because we look for gladness in things and in circumstances and in people. And we're constantly disappointed. And if gladness does come, it's temporary. Mm. But what we're being told here is that real gladness comes from God, and it happens as we worship. You, O Lord, have made me glad by your redemptive work at the works of your hands. I look around and see his his work, his gospel story, and other people. And that's where gladness comes from. That's where joy comes from. Sometimes sometimes I'll hear people say things like, I don't like to worship at that church. Uh What does that even mean? Worship is not something we observe and critique. Mm. It's something we do. And when we do it, it's transformative. It makes us, God makes us glad, which really is what is stated in, in such beautiful fashion in that very first answer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Yeah. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him. And we're not just limiting that to Sunday morning worship, though it certainly includes that, but in in our private worship and the way we live our lives. The more we glorify Him in those things, the more we enjoy Him, and the more we enjoy Him, the more we glorify Him. So the joy of... um, being in a local church is seeing the gospel at work, living out the gospel implications, seeing God do his transforming work in us and in one another. Nothing compares to such a thing. I'm just in awe of how the Holy Spirit, (laughs) he guides and directs. I mean, Susan, you're not going to believe this, but you will, because I'm sure you've experienced this so many times in your 79 years of life. But I, every year I do this this thing, and it and it never turns out the way I think that it ought to, or the way that it that I expect it to. But I choose a word for the year, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just kind of uh, think about that word, and you know I look for it in Scripture, and I'm asking God to cultivate that in me. Um, last year it was surrender. This year it is gladness, and oh. I'm. S- <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying in the closet. And and you know why it's gladness, Susan? It's because everybody knows this about me. If they listen to this show, I mean I'm you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I I'm in this season with little tinies mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm in the throes. I mean, I know yes. you've been there. And I have. I'm telling you, when things don't go the way that I expect and when my schedule gets off and when I don't do things the way that I that I hope to or desire to, I can just get real disgruntled and mm-hmm. I can start to become very embittered and 
I ask my kids all the time, like, can we find our happy heart? And, and, you know, the Lord just really convicted me, like, do you really, do you have a happy heart, Hunter? Like, where's your happy heart at? (laughs) And so I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you talk about personal worship and I'm just so convicted and challenged because I really do believe, um, our personal worship, like when we come together as a body of believers, like our corporate worship, worship is enhanced when we are truly experiencing like the goodness of God in our everyday life and having eyes to see that and mm-hmm. a heart that is thankful for the things that he is working um, in our lives on a day-to-day basis, not just on a Sunday morning. So excuse me while I collect myself <laughs> off of the floor because mm. I've melted into a puddle. <laughs> what encouragement do you have for the woman who's listening who is thinking, man, I really, like, I, I've been having a hard time finding a local church, and I'm so discouraged. Or for somebody who's listening, and they're thinking, um, I'm not a part of the local church. Or when I walk in the doors of a church, I just feel so out of place. Do you have any encouragement for the, for this person who, uh, this woman who, you know, we've all probably been at some point yeah, that that's really hard, and it's very raw and very real. I, I know that. I can speak of church in the way that I do, but I also know the, the hard side. Right. And I, I know the lonely side and all of that. But I think what we have to do is go to the Lord and ask Him to help us to think biblically about His church. And to, first of all, just to be so astonished with the wonder of it. And with the fact that we are a part of his invisible church and then ask him to work in our hearts to give us the grace, not to start with our needs or our expectations, but that our starting point is his glory and his calling to us to come home, to come into his church. And it may be that no one speaks to us, but maybe we can speak to someone else. Maybe we look, we can be the ones to look around and see someone else who is lonely and just keep showing up and keep reaching out and keep trying to, to press in closer and closer. It, it won't be perfect, but just do it and just be there and don't back off. Don't get discouraged. Keep thinking about how great and wonderful he is and how you can show that to the place where, wherever he sends you. Mm-hmm. And just the joy in walking in obedience, you know, to what he's asked of us as his followers. Do you have any resources that would be a help to someone who is in the local church? These can be whatever you want, or maybe some practical next steps for someone who is currently on the market <laughs> or hunting for a local church to become a member of? Oh, well, I would say the Bible, the Bible, and the Bible. The, the Bible <laughs> yes. is our resource. The number one that. resource yes. always. But beyond that, I would encourage you to, and, and my age is showing here, but that's okay, to really consider the historic creeds, the Westminster yeah. Confession of Faith and Catechisms, the Heidelberg Catechism, and, and read some of the commentaries on those creeds. Yes. And, and just sink yourself down in deep. I promise you it will increase your understanding of the Word and your hunger for the Word. So that's where I would start. And then, of course, there's so many, so many books, books, books out there. But Another thing, since I'm assuming most of your audience is women, Mm -hmm. 
I think it's important to discover a biblical perspective of our womanhood and God's calling for us as women in his church, even like you were mentioning being in a Bible study with older women, that Titus 2 is a very real call on our lives as women. Now, everything that we do in the church is not gender specific, of course, but some things are. And we do need women discipling women. So uh, resources that will help you to do that or to help your church to do that, or if there are resources already there, things that are being done, Titus to Discipleship Ministries, and you may want to look at the Spiritual Mothering book and then the Companion book, right. uh, Titus to Tools, which gives some practical ways to, to do this in a local church. But I, I think that uh, next to the corporate worship and sitting under the preaching of God's Word, women finding small groups of women where they're digging into the Word together is so important. Mm, I could not agree more. And that's one of the best times of my whole entire week. I'm so thankful for the gift of getting to do that with other women who love Jesus. Susan, I feel like we've been in here for two minutes and it's already been close to 50. And so one of the things that I ask every guest who comes on the show, just so that we can get to know you a little bit better is what are your three simple joys? Uh, I love this. I cannot put them in order, but I will say that my early morning time and place with the Lord is one of the joys of this season of life. I I have a little spot here with my chair and my Bible verses on the wall around me and my book stacked all around me. And other times in my life when I had to rush because I had to either get to work or school or help others get there. But this in in this season, I can sit there as long as I want to. And that's one of my several joys. And then Another is our family. Uh, I mentioned that we live in between our two daughters, and when we came up with this arrangement, we downsized a lot, but we did build our house with a large gathering place and a large table. The rest of the house Mm. is very small, but all of us, all 20 of us can fit around this table, and nothing brings my husband and me more joy than sitting at that table when it's absolutely full and chaotic and noisy and crazy, but all of our people are there. But it's also a place where our people beyond our immediate family, our spiritual children come and gather our Bible studies and things like that. And oh, what a joy to see our children, our grandchildren, our spiritual children walking in the truth. And then one more is that the older I get and the slower life becomes, the joy of seeing God's majesty in the mundane, Mm. seeing his majesty in the little things. We call it heavenly hugs. Uh, Just seeing him love us in these little ways that I used to overlook because I was in such a hurry and I was so busy. But seeing those things and seeing flowers pop, pop up out of the ground, all of that, all the joy, the wonder of it. Oh, well, Brooks and I are getting out of the military, so you better watch out because if you talk about that table anymore, I might just end up on your door in Georgia, on your doorstep. (laughs) I just think that is so absolutely wonderful. And I can tell that you are just a voracious reader, Susan. I have always loved reading and the quotes that you incorporate in your book are the best quotes that I have ever come across. So you mentioned the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, things like that. You reference those very often in the books that you write. And I think just as a side note, that's something that we as 
women who are you know reading your books can can look at the footnotes and see where we might take it a step further where maybe we'll reference go and read some of the the materials that have really discipled you in your journey with Jesus and um I I love to hear who has impacted you in your spiritual lineage and just to hear from you who it is that you feel has had the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus through all these years I could list the pastors and the teachers who have had just a profound impact and the, the books. Uh, and one of the reasons I use so many quotes is hopefully to encourage women to go and read them. But the bigger reason is I only know so much and they know a lot. And I'd rather quote them and you learn from them. So <laughs> really, my books are just an opportunity to tell you what other really great <laughs> thinkers are saying. But when I really think about the greatest impact, again, it comes to those who are closest to me. Yes. Beginning with my great-grandmother, whom I Mm. never knew, but she prayed for the generations to come. And I know that story. And I'm an answer to her prayer. That has a profound impact on me as I pray for our grandchildren and for the generations to come. Um, And my parents and uh, grandparents, my brother, all of those people that have surrounded me, but then no one has impacted me. And here I'll come to tears as my sweet husband, mm-hmm. oh my, uh, he shows me covenant love every single day. He shows me Jesus. And the way I'm impacted by his life, his servant heart, is beyond anything I could ever learn in a book. And then just our children and their children, their yes. spouses, all of that, Uh, our churches that we've served. It's the people whose lives have intersected ours that have really impacted us. And the older I get, I think back and remember conversations or things I heard them say in a Bible study, and I'm continuing to learn from them. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Well, I have to say, I truly, truly feel that way about you. And it's amazing for me to just even sit here in the closet and think about uh, in the last couple of years, as I've been exposed to your writing and really to um, your spiritual mothering at a distance through Karen, just what an impact you've had on me and on the women in my local church. And so I know you give all glory, honor, and praise to God for that. And I just want to say thank yeah. you for the life that you've lived. I'm truly giving glory to God for the spiritual lineage that he has created through through you, Susan. So thank you so much for joining us on the Journey Women podcast today. It's just been a blessing to get to hear from you and have you on the show. Hunter, thank you so much. And please show up on my porch one day and come sit at my table. <laughs> I'll take you up on that. On its way. Don't you love Susan? If I wasn't newly postpartum, I would have already taken her up on her offer to camp out on her doorstep. Hey, if you want more information on how to connect with Susan, or if you want to check out the noteworthy quotes from this episode, you can actually find all the stuff you need over on the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support with our relaunch. We are overwhelmed by your kind messages, shares, etc. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you definitely want to connect with us throughout the week on social media. To do so, head over to at journeywomenpodcast on Instagram or Facebook. Over there, we're going to be discussing all things on the local church. This episode was edited by Chris Mann and the Podshaper team. 
Stay tuned for next week's episode with Mark Dever on how to find a healthy church. Hey, it's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. I can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.